But those shut down debate, they're used as a cudgel. And whether it be comedy or discussion or anything else, if we don't have the wherewithal to meet each other with what's reality, then how do we, how do we move forward is, is my question. I have to be able to express that to people. If I can't say that's bull and explain why, then where do we go? And if we all just shut it down, then we retreat to our little corners of misinformation and it metastasizes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast. Uh, it's been a while since I recorded a podcast. Initially, when I started, I wanted to do you know, weekly podcasts every week. And uh, after recording the first four or five podcasts, uh, I got to a point where I just didn't want to record about any subject or anything uh, and put it out there. I really wanted to be something that I, uh, you know, feel strongly about. I want to learn more about and I want to share whatever I learn or whatever I believe in in that subject with with you guys now that being said uh i think if you are on twitter especially the you know the u.s twitter or if you follow elon musk or you know likes of joe rogan uh you got into or you learned about the debate uh around the vaccines and the whole topic uh you know exploded again it's something that was debated heavily when uh, the pandemic started and then when the vaccine rollout started in, in uh, a lot of countries. And uh, the whole ant- traditional anti-vax movement uh, got pretty involved. And then there were a new group of people because of the, you know, the new technology of, uh, that was used in the new vaccines for, for covid which was in the traditional vaccines where, you know, uh, basically uh, the mRNA vaccines and uh, the technology that we use. And, you know, that being said, it was a technology that it was being worked on for years and years. But finally, you know, with this, uh, with this pandemic and with this virus, it was uh, sort of the right moment for uh, the technology to be used and to be enrolled into into production basically now so you had skeptics who were you know who were not an anti-vax uh in in general sense of people who you know have strong feelings about vaccines uh but they were a skeptic of the covid vaccine because of the you know the new technology being used for uh delivering the uh the basically uh I'm I'm not an expert, so I don't know how to explain. But like basically using the DNA and delivering the message into the DNA to for for the DNA to or the pro- protein for the vaccines to be produced, and then you know uh, you can YouTube it, and then you can you know get more detailed information on that. And then you were uh, you also had people who were like you know pretty for vaccines and who were like comfortable with the new technology and uh, the new vaccines, and they got uh, you know their shots. Uh, Generally speaking, me, myself, just so you know where I stand, I've got all my vaccines since I was a kid. My parents, you know, uh, took me to have all the vaccines done. And I feel that that actually helped me. And, I, and I'm, 
a huge believer in vaccines. And I think in, you know, a general sense, if you just look at uh, pure statistics, uh, the number of uh, outbreaks that we had for different uh, different viruses, different uh, different you know illnesses, whether it was uh, m- malaria or like other illnesses, that took a lot of lives uh, back in you know nineteen twenty or nineteen thirty or even before that. Uh, if you look at the per capita statistics uh, and per capita statistics now for a lot of those uh, illnesses, uh, you basically see that at least in terms of effectiveness, they have been pretty effective. Now, it uh, the debate that happened in uh, you know on a Joe Rogan podcast with the uh, Robert uh, F Kennedy Jr. RFK, who was running for uh, Democratic Party nomination against Joe Biden. Now, what he said basically was uh, uh, he talked about a lot of like the side effects and. Uh, the untold, uh, as he, uh, you know, claimed the truth about, you know, all the side effects that even those uh, vaccines that we all have been sort of accustomed to have had on our body or might have had uh, and we never realized it or whatever. But also that went into, you know, the topic of the, the COVID vaccine and then, you know, a whole... Uh, how to say a whole like discussion broke out on Twitter with like different doctors, different like, you know, uh, va- vaccine advocate, Elon Musk, Joe Rogan himself, a lot of people talking about it. Now, as I mentioned, I'm, you know, I'm pretty pro vaccine in terms of, I believe they, uh, pure statistically speaking, uh, the numbers prove that they have been effective in terms of, uh, extending the uh health ex- uh the the you know the life expectancy and the general health of uh, any any adult around the world if you compare the numbers from before uh we started to produce vaccines where you know a lot of common illnesses back then and then the result after we had a uh a good number of population vaccinated so i'm a general believer in vaccine in terms of COVID vaccine, I got, uh, I've got my, you know, all three shots. I haven't got the fourth one, but, um, uh, so I'm, I'm boosted as well. But, um, that being said, I've, I didn't have any, you know, side effects myself, uh, other than the, like a normal day after, uh, like the body ache and whatnot. I, I felt great. I got COVID, uh, two times after I got the vaccine and, uh, the first time actually was much better. The second time, which was, uh, I think a few months ago, uh, it was, it was a bit worse. I had like more, more ache in my body and it took me longer to recover from it, generally speaking. But with that being said, um, I've had family members in my own family who, you know, took the vaccine, whether it was the, you know, the Pfizer or the other one. And uh, it had more lingering long-term effect on them. And me personally, I didn't have any pre-existing condition. Uh, they had some pre-existing condition. So I don't know if that played a role or what, what the case is. 
again, I'm not a scientist, but I've I've seen it in my own family that some people uh, who took the vaccine had, uh, you know, more of side effect and more of a long-term side effect. Uh, they pretty, you know, generally speaking, they're, they're good now. But again, it, 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 it was pretty bad. And, you know, they got COVID as well uh, with like two shots of vaccine and it was pretty, pretty hard on them. Now, I don't know if the, like they didn't get the shots uh, themselves, how, uh, you know, hard would have that been without shots if like, you know, a COVID hit them so hard with the vaccines, what would have happened to them without the vaccines? I, we never know because, you know, we don't have the perfect, uh, perfect like uh, case study for that. Uh, but that being said, uh, I think the general sense uh, that came out of this whole discussion was uh, a huge mistrust from the public uh, in the pharmaceutical industry and with anyone who is involved with that industry, whether you are just simply a researcher working out of your you know university fund, but you work or you cooperate with like these uh, big pharmaceutical companies, or if you're just simply someone trying to, you know, spread like even like you know some of the old vaccines of like malaria or whatever, and then like trying to get a uh, uh, population of like least fortunate countries who don't have the necessarily uh, funding or tools to vaccinate their population, you immunize their population. Uh, whatever the case is, if you are somehow related to the pharmaceutical industry, uh, there is a huge mistrust. Now, that's funny because I was just, uh, before recording this, I uh, saw a tweet from one of my favorite billionaires. I don't have many. Uh, with, with Mark Cuban, uh, I saw a tweet that someone like you know said something about his company that he's funded in U.S. Uh, that that was funny because like his whole mission with that company is, you know, getting people uh, prescription drugs at the very like lower cost than they get. So he's kind of going against the traditional pharmaceutical, but even you know, because he's, uh, you know, he's even working within that realm, even though he's actually going against him and doing something good. He, he got some heat for, you know, some stupid uh, reply or some stupid uh, tweet uh, against him. Now, what I want to discuss in this podcast saying, uh, you know, have said all that, uh, is that sort of breaking that, that mistrust uh, in the pharmaceutical industry and with anyone who's uh you know working in that industry whether you are a ceo whether you are a researcher whether you're you know purely a good-hearted uh researcher who's trying to advance like you know the technology or advance the, the medicine to help people and your your you know intentions your uh, work is like purely for the betterment of and good of the people everyone have and its level of skepticism towards that industry. Now, why is that? You know, like any other business, pharmaceutical industry is a business first and foremost. And it 
it's been shown that it's 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 like one of the biggest industries and businesses and like any industry or like any business the primarily goal of the people in the hierarchy of those companies who work within that industry is to grow profits and, and you know as a result if you have shareholders to you know increase the returns and dividends for that for them uh, those shareholders or um you know, enrich your own pockets, whether you're a CEO getting higher bonuses for, you know, uh, hitting higher profits or whatever the case is. Like any other business, they, they're doing what every business does, which is increase their profit, increase their sales and all that. But the problem is that within that industry, the commodity that you're trading is uh, people's health, is people's life expectancy, is people's, uh, you know, people's hopes people's dreams like if you're in, in an entertainment industry if you're in sports industry in tech industry in any industry uh really speaking about it i cannot think any industry top of my head where you have so much influence over life and death which is the the, the, the most uh primal thing about us as humans um uh, the, the the most important thing about us humans like if you're dead you're dead man um so it's really important that this is one of the few to me i can think of now only industries that it's making profit making you know sales and all that over people's lives and that if you you know step out of the line in any way the level of distrust and mistrust that will come for you as an industry, as as whole, um, it's gonna be huge because again, you are trading such a such an important and rare commodity. Um, so that being said, and that being understood about profits and sales, then you get into you know numbers. And when you look at it, you even become more distrustful of the industry as a whole. Uh, now, if you move back before uh, this, you know, whole uh, pharma industry became this like huge industry, huge like driven by by profit, driven by sales, driven by uh, business metrics rather than you know, human metrics, which what should be, you know, ideally speaking, people trusted their doctors, people trusted, you know, if, if, if your doctor told you, you need, uh, you know, XYZ prescription, or you need, you know, XYZ drugs to treat your, you know, sore throat or treat your, I don't know, cancer, treat your whatever the case is, you trusted your doctor wholeheartedly. Now, what has happened is that, first of all, our access to information has grown significantly, uh, both information and misinformation. And we have so much of these data at our, you know, at our uh, hand, which we can, you know, look at. Now, on the bright side, it gave us more objective uh, perspective of the the whole industry, we start asking questions. On the other hand, it was 
you know, much easier to be um, to be led to believe something wrong by like a competitor or by someone who's have like malicious uh, uh, malicious intent. So, and that goes for you know us as a society in general. But then, you know, you look at just the case of this pandemic. Uh, we had one of the worst pandemics in the world, uh, in the world history. Uh, I think it was unrivaled uh, for like 100 or 100 something years. And you look at pure numbers, I think I had it somewhere here. Uh, the sales for the pharmaceutical industry grew by uh, around $100 billion or something like that. So... I'm just trying to find the actual number. Uh, so the revenue of the worldwide pharmaceutical market in 2019 was uh, $1,278 billion, which makes it uh, $1.27 trillion. Uh, in 2020, the number became uh, one. Point thirty-one billion dollar, and in twenty twenty-one, when the vaccine rollout happened, the uh, worldwide revenue of the pharmaceutical market became one point forty-five uh, trillion dollars, so a thousand four hundred fifty tri- uh, billion dollars. And as you can see, it had about hundred forty billion dollar jump in revenue in one year. Now, when you see that and when you, uh, you know, you couple that with all the information, misinformation that came out that, oh, the source of the uh, uh, the virus was, uh, you know, a bat and then it was like this animal and then it was like, you know, speculation over this happened or that happened. And even like, you know, people like people who are loved by. Uh, a lot of people on both sides of any ideology, like like John Stewart, he said like when it happened, it was like like it's obvious that like there was a lab in China uh, working on this virus or like you know exploring this virus or like doing research on this virus, and it's pretty suspicious that this happened. And then like you know, a couple years later after the panda uh, the, the the whole like pandemic happened, the reports came out that oh there is a possibility there is a possibility that it was a uh you know a lab leak uh from the uh wuhan uh respiratory uh research center so you you couple that with all this uh leading people down a lot of uh, misinformation from you know governments from agencies from a lot of people and then you couple that with 140 billion dollar increase in revenue in one single year for for the pharmaceutical market and you have to ask questions you 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 suspicious of you know even if you're not if you don't have any doubt about the effectiveness or the side effects of the the covid vaccine if you even trust the covid vaccines you you start asking questions of so how's that you know how, how, how's that you know uh that one industry benefited so $140 billion is not a small number, that one industry, one market 
profited so much from one, you know, one incident, one pandemic. And the sale actually stayed the same uh, through the next year and actually grew by about $30 billion. So that's one part of the puzzle. So I think, you know, actually having people, I don't have any medical expertise. I, I just look at it, uh, you know, look at the, this from an investigative perspective of, I have questions. I ask a normal citizen of this world, I have questions about, you know, it's, it's just so much coincidence. It's like not one or $2 billion coincidence is $140 billion coincidence. And you want to know, and then you want to know more about the vaccines of, you know, if, if it's so effective, how would, how it happened in like one year or less than one year. And then if it's actually effective and it was like, there was like research on the MRNA techniques before, like how, uh, was it like purposeful to roll out this new technology? There, there is like genuine questions about this whole thing. And then, of course, you know when you start to getting the base, there's like a lot of conspiracy theories being being uh, put out there, and there are some genuine questions. But you know, unless people come and debate this and talk about it, and I don't mean like uh, a doctor coming debating me or a doctor debating uh, someone without any information, but uh, doctors debating doctors uh, so we can get answers. I think that's that's pretty pretty good idea, you know, to have that. And we can listen to it, even if you're not medical experts, we can understand, you know, if, if you don't need to be a political expert to understand somewhat a political argument or political debate so as long as you have some you know some education i think you can listen to uh a debate about that and uh get something out of it so and the fact that people run away from that it just makes you even more suspicious of what's going on now you know again i i'm okay with the vaccines i got i don't have any anything for me to to say about a vaccine but again i had family members who took the vaccine who had pre-existing condition who went through a pretty harsh uh side effects for long term for a few months uh to a year after they took the vaccine and um mood swings and stuff like that so it's just genuine questions about this vaccine and if again i think what hurts it's through, uh, you know, a, a, the true uh, science, the true scientists who genuinely working for the good of people is that if you run away or if you come on and in, in a debate, give some more inf- misinformation, like, you know, all the misinformation that was out there from any and all groups when the pandemic started, you just hurting the, the true scientists who really want to work for the people. Now, Again, just to elaborate on why there is a distrust for this industry and for the people who work in this in, in this industry, just look at uh, cancer. Now, we've been working on cancer. Again, I'm not a medical expert. I'm just looking at it through an investigative perspective and asking questions. We've been working on uh, cancer treatments or uh, treating cancer, you know, straight up 
defeating it or like stronger medication or whatever for better half of 20, 30, 40 years. I, I don't know how long it has been, but it's been a long time. And the treatments actually, especially if you if your cancer getting uh, detected through tests, uh, through tests and through you know uh, lab work or whatever, uh, you have a higher chance of surviving now than you had before. But again, you know, as an investigative uh, person, I look at it and I see a huge profit that cancer brings pharmaceutical industry uh, and I just ask the questions of even if 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 you are a pharmaceutical company and with all this R&D and all that if you really all put your effort together I mean you came up with like a COVID vaccine in less than a year now imagine if you have 20 30 years you have like 10 uh, 10 more years to that are we really unable to uh, come up with better medication for cancer, better than what we have and better than the progress that we have? Uh, or having like treatments that totally uh, prevent uh, cancer or treatments that just like kills it uh, on, on, on the point of detection and, you know, totally roots uh out any cancer, any possibility of cancer in the future. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. I know there's like a lot to go to it. I have a little understanding of how cancer happens, what is cancer, you know, how the treatments works and all that. I did my research, but again, this is not a medical podcast. So again, from just just the perspective of that, I was just looking at some numbers, some articles. There was like this family, uh, this woman in Ontario, Canada, uh, an article was from about 10 years ago. She was like, doing this interview with like a news agency that was like uh she had cancer and she was like paying uh this one drug that would cost her eight thousand dollar per month just to survive and see another month um you look at the statistics in u.s canada uh people who are getting treated for cancer they lose all their savings a lot of them go into a uh getting huge loans uh out on their house on their homes um for, for the cancer treatments and how many people go bankrupt over cancer treatments and then like you know after going bankrupt they don't even have any more money to spend on cancer treatment and then you know if they not better or like well after a few years of treatment by then they don't even have enough money to afford the further cancer treatment so you look at uh the number that a pharmaceutical company banks from one cancer patient for these other cancer drugs or cancer uh, medications, and you think about it, the number can easily go through hundreds of thousands of dollars per patient, even if not more, if you count in all the money that they spend on, you know, hospitals, how much profit hospitals make off of the, you know, the cancer patient and all that. Uh, so the whole profit that one cancer patient brings to the whole health industry just go beyond pharmaceutical it's huge and you then think about it imagine like if there's a if there's a drug that let's say even like 
the craziest number. Like, let's say there is this like drug that you can take and then the possibility of cancer in you goes away or like your cancer get treated right away or whatever. And then you say it's hundred thousand dollars still in, in just a general sense, business sense, you wouldn't, in, you know, roll out that drug because you making 500, $600 off of one patient, even if not more uh, for cancer treatments and $600,000 in, in any mathematical equation trumps $100,000. So again, there is incentives for them to not have the best, uh, best technology and best solution. And even if there is that solution and that technology, how much is it going to be available to some? How much is it going to be available to the public? How much is going to be funded by the insurances and all that? Uh, you know, in that regard, I always go back to a technological story that my dad told me once. Um, he was a captain of, you know, uh, he is uh, a captain of like big ocean going ships. And I was always fascinated by the GPS technology on the ships. And then, you know, you have GPS on your cars and whatnot. But like even before we had the GPS technology on the phone before and then on uh, before that, on like the uh, navigation and our cars or what whatever uh, maritime industry and then you know, like the air, air, aerospace industry have had, uh, you know, uh, the GPS technology for a long time. And he always told that a story. I never checked, like, you know, the fact check or whatever, but like he always told that story. I don't know where he read it, that GPS technology was uh, initially uh, built and used uh, by and for the U.S. Navy. So even before like the normal maritime uh, shipping uh, industry had this advanced form of GPS technology that we use today on like a lot of uh, different ships, boats and whatnot, way, way back, like the Navy in the U.S. had that technology and they decided to roll it out, you know, to sort of declassify or whatever and then roll it out to the public and become you know, become common in the maritime industry and then become common in the, like, the cars and then, like, you know, maps and stuff like that coming from, with the GPS, trying to navigate your car and all that that came after. And, you know, that's always uh, sort of the conspiracy theory I have for the pharmaceutical industry is, like, there is a lot of probably treatments that is out there that they already, you know, got to it. But at this point still... It doesn't make sense to roll it out to the public, but you can you can, you can sell it privately. Like if I am a billionaire suffering from cancer or whatever, and you know this pharmaceutical CEO or whatever come to me and be like, "Oh, if you want to like you know get rid of that cancer, you can pay fifty million dollar or whatever, and then we have this drug that hasn't been released to the public or whatever." I'll do it in a in a heartbeat. <laughs> So that's my always my conspiracy theory for that. Now, moving on from that, there was another discussion that happened with uh, with Elon Musk. Uh, he posted in the midst of all this like talks with uh, vaccines, with like uh, pharmaceutical industry and whatever uh, that was going on. Elon Musk posted and replied to a tweet with uh, some interesting numbers for antidepressant use in the world, which. You know, U.S. was leading that. Um, and 
that kind of hits home for me because, you know, I have personally suffered from depression before, uh, probably going through it now to, to a lesser degree. I've had family members who suffer from depression and used uh, antidepressants, um, and it has helped them actually significantly through that time. But again, uh, one common thread that I have seen in my, uh, you know, my own friends, family, I've never seen anyone who, you know, again, given uh, they were like through going through some very tough time in their life and actually the antidepressant helped them through that specific time of their life. But again, I've never seen anyone who has started using antidepressant drugs and somehow after they went through whatever they were going through or, you know, whatever uh, situation it was that they needed that and then basically stopped using it. I've never seen that. Anyone I know personally who used uh, antidepressant drugs, especially the, uh, the SSRI drugs, uh, which is called selective serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors, which makes actually around 28% of the market share for antidepressant drugs. So any, anyone who I know who, who have used this uh, serotonin uh, reuptake drugs or uh, any other antidepressant drugs, they never became drug-free. They, they're living their best life still to, to some degree but they are hooked on the antidepressants so they cannot live without it now again that's a huge red flag for me and then again you start doing some just research on simple numbers going back to the pandemic the antidepressant market size in North America before the pandemic happened was uh, $6 billion in 2019. And uh, basically in 2020, the year after the pandemic, the first year of the pandemic, the number uh, increased by 11% or a little bit more actually. So it got roughly to somewhere close to $9 billion or about around $3 billion increase. Now, of course, you under, it's understandable. You, you know, going through a pandemic and all that, you get more depressed, you get more anxiety, and then you probably turn to your doctor and doctor prescribing you these antidepressant drugs. And then over that, again, I hope there are stories out there who people who used it and, you know, just stopped using them. But again, from my own personal uh experience and perspective i've never seen anyone who started using antidepressant drugs regularly to go through that, the tough times they were going through and somehow or in some way stopped using them some sometimes the people i know stopped using them but the mood and then the feelings and all that it just like crashed so bad that it was like you know just fuck it i i, I need that i cannot perform or function without it and that's alarming how from business perspective it's it 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 makes all sense you know if i 
if I am a tech company, I want to put out a product that gets you hooked. If I am Netflix, I want you to be my subscriber every month. Pay me whatever $15, $16 you pay me every month to be a subscriber of Netflix. Same thing with Amazon. Same thing, uh, you know, Prime or any industry. But again, you're talking about people's health here. And the, again, the business incentive, the profit incentive is there for the, for the uh, pharmaceutical industry. That even if there is a solution, if there is an antidepressant drugs or any antidepressant solutions that will treat you or will help you through the tough times that you're going through, and then once you you know come out the other side, you don't need them anymore. You can function normally. You can go back to normal you before you know going through that tough time in your life. But again, it doesn't happen. And again, people have right to ask questions. That is it just by accident that we don't know any better research or any better drugs that this has been the case for the past 20, 30 years that some of these drugs have been around? Or is it that we know a better solution, but it just doesn't make any, you know, profit incentive or like cost incentive for us to put it out there? Because even if that drug is more expensive, you're going to use like a $10,000 drug once for like six months and then you're done. But then even if we're getting $500 from you monthly for a lifetime, the incentive is there. Now, again, I don't want to be disregarding of people's, you know, going through depression and all that. I've, I've been through depression. I know how real it is. But one one thing I'm always interested in is that I don't think depression is a new like we may know more about depression and we know we can detect it better when we are depressed before, you know, 100 years ago, people just didn't know. They just felt sad or felt whatever. They didn't have any understanding of that feeling. But again, even before, from the time that we understood depression and we understood like all these mental problems to the time that we came to using uh drugs so easily and so freely and so widely to treat any sort of mental problem, whether it's antidepressant, uh, anxiety, drugs, or whatever. So there was a gap in in this between, which people knew about it, but they were using like more traditional methods, whether it was like, you know, yoga, whether it was like meditating, whether it was like breathing exercises and all that. And I'm not saying that that is uh, there are clearly some people that that's not enough for them. They need that, you know, drug to survive. But again, my feeling is that you get a lot of doctors who so easily, because of all again all of the wrong incentive, just prescribe all these antidepressants to anyone, to teenagers, to like kids and all that. And I've I've just I've seen more people, youth, uh, young people, people from like fifteen to twenty year old to twenty five year old, whether it's in Middle East where, where life is much harder, whether it's in North America, whether it's in Canada, US, you know, Europe, whatever. I've just seen and read and heard more stories of, you know, teenagers, young people committing suicide than I heard when I was a kid when, you know, twenty year twenty or like thirty years ago. So 
how effective are actually the antidepressant and like we, you know all these kids that we are hooking them up on these antidepressants through uh stupid prescriptions for them how is it that they actually end up you know committing suicide that actually become worse in terms of their mental health now again if we have a healthy debate, like if you are someone who work in the R&D of the antidepressants or you work in that industry, you come on and debate someone, another doctor or whatever, and we can get some answer. But for me, my perspective is that it's not that the whole incentive of the industry is not designed for the benefit of the people, for the betterment of the people. It's designed to hook you up. And that's a general sense of of the of the whole market i mean <laughs> twitter used to be free you know now you have more advancement that comes with you know blue check that you can get and then if you don't want it you don't want it you know you still can use it for free but like you know what i mean like like we have more businesses all around that are trying to hook us up on some sort of the subscription but again you don't die without twitter you don't um uh, you 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 still can have like an older iPhone. You can have an older laptop. This still does the job for you. But with pharmaceutical, we talking about health of the people, whether it's mental health, physical health, whether it's you know life expectancy. It's it's people's life and death in general speaking, and the same profit model, the same business model that works for every other. Uh, industry, it doesn't work for pharmaceutical. So for me, you know, speaking about all that and talking about all that, the main problem with the pharmaceutical industry is the incentive uh, model that exists for the industry. Now, there are a few arguments for that. More, you know, uh, left-leaning socialist uh, ideology will say, you know, Industries like pharmaceutical industry should never be uh, privately owned. It should be publicly owned. Government should have full control over it. Uh, you may have someone who have, you know, somewhat of a social socialist belief. They they be they be like, no, it, it can be privately owned, but like through heavy regulations, government should uh, restrict how much profit you can have, how much you know revenue you can make. And there is a good argument that, you know, that can limit the orange. Thank you from my my Apple Watch. That that can, you know, limit the R&D and then incentives for the R&D. Which to that, I'll, I'll have like the counter arguments that part of the whole argument that we have in this podcast was how much that is truly true, you know, how much of that R&D do we actually see and how much of it we don't see. That's a huge, you know, I think conspiracy theory, if you may, that we need to talk about, like how much R&D goes through through a lot of drugs that it may be available for like elite part of the society because the cost incentive isn't there for them to enroll that out because it's going to treat you for good and you don't need to be hooked on some drugs. Um, and I don't know, honestly, what is uh, the solution from, you know, a, ca- a capitalistic point of view for, for that. Maybe, uh, you know, privately owned by 
again, heavily regulated. That can be an argument. Uh, maybe uh, you cannot have a patent for for a drug for like the same length that you can have a patent for another technology or another uh, discovery. I really don't have the answer for that. But I think one of the biggest debates that need to happen beside the debates about antidepressants, the debate about vaccines, the debate about cancer treatments, the main debate should be what should be the structure for the pharmaceutical industry and in general sense for the healthcare industry to be able to limit this sort of gamble with people's life just to drive up the profit or drive up the revenues of these companies and the shareholders of them and the, and the uh, people's and, and the power in those companies. What is the best structure for it? What is the best incentive structure for it? Uh, subsidizing by getting subsidized by government, getting, uh, I don't know, getting some sort of cap put put on those companies, giving, getting heavily re- regulated, getting, again, getting fully owned by government, even if government truly owns everything in the pharmaceutical industry, is there an incentive for them to treat people for good with, like, drugs that will treat you for good for, like, you know, depression or, like, a depression drug that won't have lingering effect or want to hook you up. And then when we talk about government, we're talking about a government who's willingly put drug on the streets and hook people up because it helped them to advance a political agenda in, in, the, in the Central America and in South America. So again, I don't know what is the answer, but I think that this debate is worth having in, in bigger platforms, you know, a Joe Rogan podcast, maybe. What is the best structure for the pharmaceutical industry to limit the gamble that happened with people's lives and people's well-being to the minimum? Because at the end of the day, we need pharmaceutical industry and we need the advancement that comes from all the good scientists who work in there. If it wasn't for all these scientists through all the years, the mortality rate right now would have been crazy. So it's not the fact that we don't need the industry. We actually need the industry. The The biggest problem is that how we're going to put this industry in check and make sure that truly, 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 the best result that come out of this industry is for the well-being of people rather than purely off of the profit revenues and increasing it year by year and year after year. Thank you for listening. Hope we can have more discussions about this topic because actually I'm truly interested in this topic. Uh, Hopefully more than the 15, 20 people that listen to my podcast listen to this and we can have a bigger discussion. Uh, Maybe some of you want to come on we can discuss this more. Uh, if you're a doctor, you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. If you someone in the industry, you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. If you have perspective about it, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this issue. Because this is one of the biggest uh, problems in the world. You know, UFO, no UFO, uh, aliens, no aliens. That's all good. And I'm interested to know more about all those stuff. But 
this is about life and death of us as human being and as, as a society. Again, thank you for listening. Till the next time, take care. I'm right here in B-more outside the bank. If you got an issue with that, come see me. I'm about that. Big trust. Woo woo.